this morning. Oh, that was so great. Good morning, everybody. I love that. Thank you so much. And I'm sure on YouTube you all said good morning, Deb, as well. It's good to see you as well. So welcome. First of all, our COVID rules, which haven't changed this week. So everybody has to sign in. Everybody should be wearing their mask and wearing their mask properly. If you're vaccinated, you can sing. If you're not vaccinated, please don't sing. But absolutely everybody is welcome. So that's our COVID rules and I love to get those out of the way because hopefully very soon they'll all be lifting. Although there's a new challenge, isn't there? And we'll be praying for that today as well. So my name's Deborah and I'm on the staff here. I can see a couple of new faces, so welcome to people who I haven't met before. Today we're going to hear from the word. Today we're going to join in song in worshiping our Lord together. And we can do that here in person and we can do that welcome to you on YouTube as well. And we're also gonna have a, a service of communion. So you've all uh, been handed your communion at home if you wanna get your bread and your juice or wine ready for communion, you can do that now. So I thought we'd start with a little reading from Acts because we're in Acts. It says in Acts 4 that the stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the first hymn that we're going to sing this morning is Christ is our cornerstone. What a wonderful way to start our service.
Well, welcome again if you've just joined us or uh, just joined us on YouTube. It's wonderful to have you all here. And we are going to join as that hymn encouraged us in earnest prayer a little bit later. But on the back of such a wonderful hymn, isn't it a wonderful thing to be able to affirm our faith? Christ is a as our cornerstone and we're going to stand now and affirm on the back of that more things about what it is we believe in Jesus. So please stand and join with me as we say what it is that we believe. I believe in God, mighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, on the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. So, a few things before we continue. First of all, we'd love you to connect with us. If you're new or if there's anything that at all that you want to uh, share with us, please, you can do the uh, QR code and there's a QR code in the bottom for YouTube people, uh, not a QR code, a link that you can join. Please connect with us electronically, in person after the service. If you have any needs or if you just want to talk, if you just want to encourage someone, please do that. We'd love to hear from everybody. And we're particularly wanting to help if we can help you in any way. Now, exciting, there is morning tea this morning. Woo! I think that deserves a clap after all this time. So we will be joining for morning tea. So make your way out there after the service and thanks to those uh, who have got it ready. You can collect your tea and coffee out there and at the servery and then select where it is that you drink it. Suggest not in the rain, but we've got those marquees out there. So uh, for those of you who are keen for Christmas, next week is the Advent service at 8am and that will be a traditional readings and carols. A wonderful way to begin Advent, a wonderful way to prepare for Jesus' birth, his first Advent, and then to think about his second Advent when he comes again. And it's a lovely time of reflection. So I encourage you to be here next week and at other services as well. And you, if you can come on YouTube, that would be wonderful to see you, but it will be live streamed. Christmas Eve will be very big at St Matthew's, but a little different this year. 3pm and 4.30, two family carol services. They'll look different to the previous extravagandas that apparently have been here. I haven't been to Christmas here at St Matthew's and can hardly wait just reading this. And uh, perfect to bring the kids to. I think, um, look for the camels. At 7, 9 and 11, three evening carol services. And they'll be Christmas classics right through the evening. So the hymns and carols that you love for Christmas, suitable for teenagers, absolutely perfect. Then on Christmas Day, more traditional services for Christmas morning, 8 o'clock and, and contemporary family service at 10 o'clock. But next week, more, more final details on how that will look. 
So we're now going to hear from Scott, who's going to bring us our last mission update in our Beyond series. Thanks so much, Devin. Good morning, everyone. And good morning to you at home. I know we love the Word of God in this church, but there are three Bibles on this lectern. <laughs> I think that's a bit ridiculous. And a bottle of hand sanitizer that I, I believe works well as mouthwash, so there you go. Now listen, uh, folks, we all know, I think, don't we, that uh, one of the great privileges of being Christian is that we get to partner together with... Um, I've always termed them heroic Christians and organisations who do incredible work here and overseas to grow the church through the gospel and to bring Christ's love and truth to the world. And if I was to put it bluntly, I'd say these are people who go and live in places where most of us wouldn't want to go and live and they do work that most of us wouldn't want to do because they're compelled by the love of Christ and the truth of his gospel. Now let me tell you about our mission partners just by way of reminder or if you're here for the first time it'll be, give you a bit of insight. Um, next slide thanks fellas. Um, firstly we have Indigenous Ministry uh, with uh, Neville and Kathy Naden who are now living in Maitland but really they're working right across this sunburnt country to raise up the next generation of Indigenous ministry leaders. And there's also Jack and Lil Harradine, we saw them in a video a couple of weeks ago, continue to lead the Living Desert Indigenous Church in Broken Hill. We've got Mark and Rochelle Collins out at Life Anglican Church at Marsden Park. We supported that church before it even started, and we're gonna, we, I think we're going to finish our support of that church next year, because they've really established themselves as a strong and viable gospel presence in their part of Greater Western Sydney. There's the Heal Africa Medical Mission in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which is one of the poorest, if not the poorest, country in the world. David and Leonie Painter, who've been doing theological education and translation work, they've been taking what looks like us, just a bunch of squiggles in the Khmer language, and um, translating the gospel and gospel kind of resources into that language in Cambodia for over 20 years. Can you imagine? Uh, Andrew and Michelle Bloom have been doing evangelism in Austria. It's, it's you know, Austria is the centre of a culturally rich but spiritually barren European continent. And David Forshawn, we also saw him in a video a couple of weeks ago. He raises up missionaries with the mission agency SIM. He's an organisational wizard and uh, through COVID in the past 18 months, he's been able to send more missionaries out onto the field. I don't know how he's done this than those who have returned notwithstanding a worldwide pandemic. I don't know about you, I look at each of those and just think wow, each of them is worthy of my support and generosity because none of them have taken an easy road in life. All of them are compelled by the love of Christ to take the gospel well beyond manly. So we want to as a church raise $120,000 for these quiet heroes. I've got some good news to share because we love good news. Um, firstly, uh, the first piece of good news uh, if there's a thermometer slide, fellas, we've raised 72,000 of the 120,000. That represents about 60% progress, so that's good news, isn't it? Well done, and thank you to those who've already contributed. The second piece of good news is that we've got the remaining 40%, or $48,000, in our wallets and in our bank accounts. So two lots of good news. Good news all around. Well, these mission partners, they're doing great gospel work well beyond Manly. We get to support them in their endeavours. We've already made a substantial dent into the target and we've got the resources to make up the balance. So lots and lots of good news. Now, uh, last week you got a little card that looks like this. 
Uh, I was going to get you to wave them in the air, but I'm we're going to hand them out to you on your way out, whichever door you go through. I want you to take that home um, and in the week ahead, scan it with your phone if you're used to that sort of technology and that'll take you straight to the give page which looks like that. Now if you don't need a reminder because you know you're pretty sharp upstairs um, then just go straight to the give page. That's easy enough to do uh, and there's a number of uh, ways that you can make your donation and I guess the key thing is that you market mission in the description field, mission. Now if you don't get around to it this week uh, or you need to wait for a few weeks before you can give for whatever reason, that's really, that's fine. We're going to leave all those details up on the website. But if you're able to, to give this week, whether you need the card or you just need your memory, that's most helpful. And uh, I really do look forward to reporting some good news next week. Well, we're going to pray now with Deb. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are eternal, almighty and sovereign. Jesus, you are our cornerstone. Holy Spirit, you are our strength and comforter. Through the death of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit, we come to you now as your loved children. Forgive us, Father, for those times when we fail to come and instead choose our own solutions. Thank you for forgiving us and continuing to ask us to come. Lord, hear our prayers. For the world, we long for a just and merciful society where the dignity of every person is acknowledged and upheld because they are created in your image. You instruct us in the scriptures to act justly, to show mercy and to walk humbly with you and particularly to the poor, to immigrants, refugees, orphans, widows, the homeless and the elderly. May we be people who make a difference in the lives of those who are vulnerable and in need, both beyond the walls of St Matthew's and here in our own community. And we ask that you'll cause governments and corporate entities to use their resources not just for the advantage of a few, but for the good of all. And we think particularly now as we face the possibility of a new COVID threat of those who may suffer the most in countries that don't have the same vaccination programs or healthcare systems or governments that even vaguely care for the people. And we pray for peace for those of us that are feeling panicked and concerned. We can only trust you for the world's response and for our own response that we would trust you for our own health, that we would trust you to look after the world, that we would trust you in what happens next. As our Beyond series comes to a close, we acknowledge that we can do nothing without you. We pray for you to stir and direct us to do your work in the world. We thank you again for the privilege of working alongside our mission partners in praying and giving and ask that you will work in us to meet our commitment to them and that many will be blessed through their work. And Father, we thank you for the many things that happen here in the St Matthews family. And we thank you for weddings that have been able to go ahead after months of lockdown. We pray now for couples who have been married or will be married soon, for Lachlan and Amelia Hill. 
for Aaron Smith and Lara Gray, for Savannah Hughes and Dan Brown. We pray that you would bless their marriages with loving kindness, faithfulness and joy as they seek to serve you together. And Lord, we thank you for the birth of Boaz to Kieran and Tescabelki and for other families with newborns. We pray for smooth transition and the rest and blessing that comes only from you. We pray that Boaz will be a faithful follower and servant of Lord Jesus. Father, as we close in prayer, our earnest prayers, we acknowledge that for many of us, our lives are busy and chaotic. And we know for others, the days are long and drawn out. We pray that whatever our circumstances, you will use all of us and each of us to your glory, that we would discipline ourselves each day to spend time with you and in your word, and that your word would go out in power from, from us to a suffering world. We thank you for your presence in the midst of us now and ask that you would receive and answer our prayers. You are our stronghold. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're going to sing together now. A mighty stronghold is our God. We can trust him with our earnest prayers. We can trust him in the face of all of the things that might be panicking us personally and on behalf of those that we're concerned about. So let's stand and sing a song of faith. A mighty stronghold is our God.
Today's Bible reading is from Acts chapter 19 and can be found on page 1113 in the Bibles in the chair in front of you. It is the first part of Luke's record of Paul's three-year stay and ministry in Ephesus. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. 
This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, trying to evoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of the Jesus who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the spirit, evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to $5 million. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, and he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. I was thinking it's three days till summer. <laughs> Feels like we're about to go into winter. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And as we come to the end of this Beyond series, we pray that you would just warm our hearts for the ministry of the gospel, to be involved in it, to believe it, and to be transformed through it. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, one of the realities of life is that ideas change people. And the history of the world is that uh, at various stages there's been ideas that have been put forward that have significantly changed the culture we live in, the world we live in. And there's no doubt significantly Christianity has had many ideas that have shaped our Western culture. Uh, I was thinking about a number of different areas. Um, my daughter's a lawyer and I was thinking about how our legal system borrows so heavily from our Judeo-Christian worldview. The whole concept that you are innocent until you are proven guilty uh, is absolutely ingrained in the Old Testament in terms of the laws of Moses. It's a cornerstone for our legal and criminal system. Another idea that shaped the world from the scriptures is that because we're made in the image of God, we are people of worth and dignity and value. 
And that completely revolutionised the first century Greco-Roman world as the Christian church went out and cared for people who formerly were not cared for. And today there is just a great sense uh, within our Western culture that flows from this notion um, that people have inherent worth, that there is human dignity, uh, that there are inherent human rights and freedoms and a concern for the poor and the disadvantaged is just part and parcel of how we think. Um, no one questions that you should care for the poor, but yet that is something that was done uh, in former centuries. Ideas change people. And I want you to think about that as we come to this final passage in the series Beyond, as we look at the way the Word of God transforms a city. And it's a very powerful chapter that we've just had read. We had basically half of it. I'm going to talk about some of the things that carried on in the reading. But in many ways, when you look at the expansion of the Christian faith, as we've been through the book of Acts, it's a record of how an idea changed the early Greco-Roman world. And that idea is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he is now the Lord and Saviour of the world. And we today are still celebrating what we would say is not just an idea, but is actually historical reality. We've been going through chapters 10 to 19. It's the middle section. And it really has been the section that tracks the expansion of the gospel beyond Jerusalem out to the non-Jewish world or the Gentile world, as it's called in the New Testament. And the establishment of the church beyond the walls of Jerusalem. Chapter 11, we saw, was the first church established in Antioch. And it wasn't just a church, it was a missionary church. It's one that both grew itself, but sent others out. And it really was the home base for Paul and Barnabas, these significant missionaries we've been looking at. And then in the following chapters, we've seen two separate mission journeys from Paul, Barnabas, as they go out and preach the gospel, and on the back of that, establish groups of believers and the first churches in the non-Gentile world. And today we come to chapter 19, and we're effectively looking at Paul's third missionary journey. Now, unlike the others where he travelled a lot, this one substantially takes place in Ephesus. And probably the biggest observation that I want to make as we look at this is that what you see here is the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word of God. Now, if you've got your Bibles there, do open up Acts chapter 19. And uh, I want us to start at verse 20, uh, which was the last verse that was read to us. And verse 20 says this, In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now, in many ways, this is not just a summary of what took place in Ephesus. It's actually a summary of what takes place all through the book of Acts. It's a phrase that is repeated on a number of occasions. Chapter 6, the word of the Lord spreads. In the early expansion to the non-Jewish world, twice it's recorded that the word of the Lord spreads. They can't contain it. And here in chapter 19, again, the word of the Lord spread widely and not just spread but grew in power. And I just want to stop by asking, what is the word of God or the word of the Lord that Luke is referring to here? Well, you could say in a formal sense, it is the Scriptures. There's no doubt that the Bible is the Word of God and in Anglican churches, the formulary that's often used in a formal setting when the Bible is read is people respond, this is the Word of God. 
And that's what we're saying, that the words you are reading are the words of God to us. But yet the Pharisees were criticised because even though they had the Scriptures, they didn't understand the Scriptures. And they didn't have that sense of insight into what the Word of God actually was speaking about. And so the mere fact that you have the Bible is no guarantee that you understand the Bible. Well, the Word of God is the Scriptures, but you'd want to say what the Scriptures are revealing is the Word of the Gospel. And though there are many books in the Bible, they're all about one story. That's the story of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is ultimately why the Word of God actually is Jesus. And you think about the way John the Apostle introduces Jesus to us in his Gospel, we read it at Christmas time, the Word became flesh. He's dwelt amongst us and we've beheld his glory. And that is the Word of God. It is the Scriptures, but what do the Scriptures contain? Well, they contain the message of the Gospel, which is all about the Lord Jesus. And when it reads that the Word of the Lord spread, what is being described here is the message about Jesus cannot be stopped. That's what Paul is referring to. And there's three things you see here about this word of the Lord, this word about the Lord Jesus. It's a fruitful word, it's a powerful word, and it's a transforming word. Let's have a look firstly at uh, Ephesians 19 verse 1 under the title of a fruitful word. Um, it's just an introductory comment. While Paul was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And this is kind of the main part of his third missionary journey here at Ephesus and I just want to say a couple of things about Ephesus because when you understand the background of the city it makes sense of what took place in Paul's ministry. Um, it was the fourth largest commercial centre of the region, uh, the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire and today if you went to Ephesus and you can go there on historical tours it's in modern day Turkey. Now geographically it was located at a junction of several important land and sea routes and it's worth noting that, so it's a city from which people could travel outwards. But third, and importantly, the temple Artemis resided there. Now that's not the actual temple, that's what um, artists think it looked like. And it is a very significant place, or it was a very significant place. It was located outside the city walls, and it was the chief glory of this city in Ephesus. And it was associated with the Roman goddess Diana. So Artemis, Diana, they're kind of the same thing and it was actually considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Incredible thing. Now what was significant though is the practices that took place at the temple and the worship of Artemis gave Ephesus a reputation for being a centre for magic. Now we might say the occult as well. And there were six magical Ephesian letters or words. Now, when I say a letter, I don't mean a written letter, but uh, in the sense of a, a whole letter, but a letter as in ABC, that were inscribed on the cultic image of the goddess Artemis. And the understanding was, if you could speak those words properly, it afforded you protection against evil and demonic forces. Now, the power apparently resided in their sound, so if you pronounce them ineffectively, 
or wrongly, then there was no protection. And there was a great secrecy about these kinds of things. And so if you had kind of the inside knowledge on them, well, you might have them written down on scrolls and hidden away in your house. Let's look and see what happened when Paul went to that ministry. Now, I'm going to pick up from verse 8. There's some interesting stuff in the first six verses. I'm not going to refer to that just because of time. The main ministry starts at verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons, there you go, holy hankies, who would have thought? That they touched him, were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Now this section, and there's three sections to this uh, recounting of the ministry in Ephesus, is a summary of what took place. It's kind of an overview. Uh, He starts, as usual, in the synagogue, which was his practice as a Jew. He wanted to go to his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters and bring the news of Jesus to them. Now, unlike other places where he was often run out of the synagogue within weeks, he lasts three weeks, so he does pretty well there. But typically, in the end, they toss him out. Now, unlike some of the other places where he goes to a more private setting... Here in Ephesus, there's a sense of boldness to him and he basically sets up shop in one of the public meeting places where probably the philosophers of the day would come and debate. Now, we don't know if he had to pay for this or not, but what we do know is he went to what was called the Hall of Tyrannus. We don't know about it today, as in it didn't survive uh, in terms of through the centuries. But the thing to note is it was a public venue and Paul went there and taught daily and a likelihood is that he may have worked in the morning he was a tent maker earned some money and then at lunchtime when people were having their break he basically opened up the scriptures and taught them and it says he taught about the kingdom of God it's another way of describing the word of God and the message of Jesus the kingdom that Jesus brings and what was taking place now was that the gospel was widely available and people were coming every day to both hear and be taught and my assumption is also trained because we see the impact was far-reaching in verse 10 we read all the province heard the word of the Lord it's an extraordinary reach that takes place from this ministry now we know from church history the churches were planted from Ephesus in other words uh, as people came and when converted they were totally transformed and numbers of them were raised up and sent out the church in Colossae which was, if I can say, in the regional areas beyond Ephesus, was started directly as a result of this ministry. The church in Laodicea most likely was exactly the same. And I'm sure there were other churches and fellowships that were started by missionaries who were raised up at this period and then sent out with the gospel to go and preach. Epaphras is the one we know that was, um, we understand, was trained here at Ephesus and then went out to Colossae. Read Colossians and you can see that story. But also, there were miracles taking place in an extraordinary way. I mean, who would think of holy hankies? I mean, here's my one. I don't think you want it for healing, okay? But it was an amazing time. And I take it the miracles were God's way of putting his stamp on Paul 
to show that he, he was the one who had the authoritative message that they had to listen to. It was a validation and authorization of his ministry. But why such fruitfulness that the whole region would hear the gospel? That churches would be established all around in that region. I take it this fruitfulness was tied to something quite ordinary and unremarkable in a human sense. The fruitfulness of this ministry was tied to the regular and I would imagine systematic and no doubt spirit-filled teaching of the Word of God. Paul just turned up each day and taught them the Scriptures and explained the Gospel to them. And he did that day in, day out, day in, day out. And it produced an extraordinary harvest, such that his entire city was now aware of the name of Jesus. And that people were converted. Missionaries were sent out, churches were planted. And it was just through this ordinary activity of the regular, systematic teaching of the Word of God. And I think sometimes we think, does the Bible really have great power? And I want to ask us a question, what is our appetite for the Word of God? Because you saw there was this enormous appetite for it there at Ephesus. And it's a good question to ask ourselves because I pray that we will have a genuine desire and a thirst to read the Word of God, but not just to read it, to be taught the Word of God and not just to be taught it but to believe the Word of God and not just to believe it but as a result to do what it says and to have our lives shaped by the Gospel. And I know that there's something very ordinary. I mean, where in society today do you see people get up and give 20, 30-minute talks and you have hundreds of people listening? Well, the church is one of the few places that that regularly takes place in. And we do it because of what we believe is of most important value. The teaching, the reading, the understanding, the applying the Word of God to our lives. It's essential if we are to be a fruitful church. And just on being a fruitful church, we also want to be sending people out. And we also want to be supporting missionary endeavours. We also want to be supporting churches being planted. And that's why we are rallying people to give towards our mission partners. Today's the last week we're going to be talking about that. If you haven't had a chance, uh, if I can just back up what uh, what Scott has already said, uh, that when you get home, think about how you can also contribute towards these great ministries. And so what you see here is the Word of God has this fruitfulness that is incredible in the town of Ephesus but it's also a very powerful word if the first section describes generally what took place in the ministry of Ephesus the next two sections describe specifically a couple of very powerful incidents that took place have a look with me at verse 13 through to 19 some of the Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. As I said, Ephesus was a centre of magic. Uh, There was a great interest, but also reality to evil spirits in this place. 
and there were people who would use magic and often it would be the sense of having a word or a name that you could use to cast the evil spirit out. Paul had done this himself successfully. And what you had there was seven sons of Sceva, we read, a Jewish priest, were doing this. And what they were doing, it says, was in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out, we read. And I take it they had seen Paul successfully doing it and they thought, oh, he's got the magic words. And it's kind of comical. It's kind of, and it's probably an easy one to pronounce, Jesus. They think, we'll use that name. Well, the problem was it didn't end well. One day that evil, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about. It is a fascinating comment that the evil spirits know who the risen Lord Jesus is. They know he is in full authority and control. They also say, we know about Paul, but who are you? Would have been a frightening thing to encounter. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, there's seven of them, overpowered all of them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. It appears both comical and scary that they've tried to copy the Apostle Paul, thinking that somehow he's got the magic word, but it leads to them being beaten up by the demon-possessed man. Verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. No surprises there. What is surprising is what we read in verse 18. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they'd done. A number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. I know uh, in the reading we had, it had $5 million. Uh, obviously, the uh, translation was done a number of years ago because I calculated 50,000 drachmas, which is a day's wage, and I got it now to $15 million. Now, it depends on what you think is the average day wage. It's a lot of money. What was going on? Well, it's interesting. Because of the regular teaching and preaching of Paul, the city now knew about Jesus. His name was known in the region. We've seen that as he proclaimed the word of God. But this demonic incident reinforced to the believers that they needed to take this gospel seriously. And I take it what had taken place was, and it's interesting, the references here to many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they'd done, that you had people who had come to faith in Christ, but were still holding on to their magic scrolls. And it was like an each-way bet, <laughs> We'll take Jesus, but in case he doesn't work, we'll keep our magic scrolls. Now, these would have been very valuable and probably privately held because supposedly they contain secrets you didn't want to share. And the value was enormous, $15 million. But this sense of conviction by God comes upon them as they see the reality that Christ is the risen King. And they cast their books out. And they do it publicly. And they burn them. 
And there's this great sense of public confession. And the word of God was coming to them in great power. And they were convicted that they needed to live for Jesus and him alone, the risen king of the world. And as I was writing this, I thought, what does this show us? Well, I think it shows us two things. Jesus is the only name. He is the name above every other name. He is the king of kings and we need to live for him. But you also see here clearly that people can confess Christ publicly while holding on privately to things that we should literally cast off. And that's exactly what had taken place here. Publicly they were known as believers, yet privately there were parts of their life that they absolutely needed to distance themselves from and get rid of. I remember, uh, this might shock you, uh, I've told it to the night church, but as a young Christian, um, one of the things that I had was pornography. And I had dabbled in that, as uh, not as a Christian. And I remember being convicted by God at this point early in my Christian life that I just needed to get rid of it. And I was thinking about books being thrown out. But I actually remember getting the magazines out from under the bed and in the, in the, the shelves. Well, they were hidden, obviously, from my mother. <laughs> and putting them in the garbage bin. Be gone. And it was just this moment of that I needed to line up my private life with my public confession. And that's what was taking place here. That there was a conviction that God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, was the King of Kings. There was an awe and a fear of Him, a wonder about Him that they needed to live for Him alone. And the great gospel reality is this, God takes us as we are. He takes us with all of our faults. He took me with all of my issues. He takes us with all of our sins and all of our addictions. And He forgives them. And then He starts to clean them up and transform us but for that to happen we need to let the word of God search our hearts and lead us to a place of repentance with the things that we wrongly treasure and value and get rid of them and I don't know with you today whether there's things in your life that you privately treasure but God is convicting you to say let them go And let me assure you, when we let them go, there is a freedom we find and a joy in knowing Christ. Well, the last thing we see is that this word transforms this city. It's quite remarkable. And this last story relates to the overall impact of the ministry of the Word of God and the Gospel in Ephesus. And from what we can work out from the narrative, people were so affected and transformed by the gospel that they gave up in droves their old ways of idol worship. If you've got your Bibles, have a look at verse 23. It's further on from where we finished the reading today. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. Now the way was a, a tag, a description for the Christians 
uh, in the first century. They were called the people of the way because they followed in the way of the Lord Jesus. Verse 24, a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver, silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. Now, I'm going to show you something. Uh, these are little um, trinkets, amulets. They're from Ephesus uh, from this period. That one there is most likely Artemis that you're reading about here. Now, that's in the British Museum. When I had long service leave, we went and visited our daughter in London and I spent quite a few days there at the British Museum. It's an amazing place. And the biblical history stuff is profound. And these are actual trinkets. I call them the trinkets, but that is Artemis, most likely. And that's what the silversmiths were making. And we read this in verse 26. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia... He says that the gods made by human hands are no gods at all. In other words, what we're making and what we're selling, he's saying it's rubbish. It's an outrage. There's a danger that not only our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Now what happens? Verse 28, um, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. Why are they so upset? Well, it's very simple. So many people got converted and were transformed that they gave up their idols to the extent that they were putting the idol makers out of business. Now, if you think this is a far-fetched thing to happen, let me tell you about what happened when Billy Graham came in 1959. Uh, it is probably one of the great moments in Australian church history in the last hundred years. They estimate that in what was called the Southern Cross Crusade, perhaps 50% of the people of Australia either heard Billy live or on the airwaves or via what were called telephone lines that were set up to broadcast his message. And here's a few of the stories that resulted. I mean, crooks were converted and were handing their guns into the police. There's a story of an undercover Russian spy who'd been busted by ASIO, but got converted and then went back to ASIO to say, I haven't told you the full story. the alcohol consumption levels in Sydney dropped by 10%. Crime rate was doubling every decade. But in the period after the crusade, it levelled off. It was profound, the impact. The word of God came to Sydney and the country in such power that a region was transformed. And that's exactly what took place in Ephesus. There was this transformation of people's lives that led to the transformation of a city. And that is the power of the Word of God. It works within us. 
as we come to comprehend and as we encounter the reality that Christ is risen, that he is the king of the world, that he is the living saviour who saves us by his death and resurrection, but also he is the coming king who will judge the living and the dead. And when that message comes in power so that people are in awe of him, people's lives are transformed. As we realise the greatest thing in life is not the things that this world offers us, but it's the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the eternal life he brings. And that's why Paul could summarise in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Because there was an idea that changed that ancient city of Ephesus. That Christ is the ruling king who loves you and has died for you and has risen again and will one day return. And I want to finish by simply asking, do you know this risen Christ yourself? Is the word of God, the word of the gospel, powerfully at work in your life to transform you? And is the name of the Lord Jesus held in high honour and awe in all that you do? Let's stop and pray. Father, we do thank you for this message, the word of God, the gospel, the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. May that word be powerfully at work in us. May we love your word. And may we love the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we honour him and be transformed by him in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Deb. We're now going to sing, I think.
Please be seated. Friends, we uh, come to share in the Lord's Supper together. I can see, I can hear that some of you are already in preparation, ripping the top off your self-serve communion packs. Uh, if you're watching on from home, now is the time to have your bread and wine or juice at the ready. I'll give you a moment just to prepare yourselves for that. Friends, this Beyond series has been about the spread of the gospel, the good news, all about the Lord Jesus, beyond Jerusalem. And at the heart of that good news is active trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and, of course, in his sacrificial death for our sins. In this symbolic meal that we're about to share, which originated from Jesus' last supper with his disciples, we express and we strengthen our trust in him as we eat and drink with brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lord's Supper is an outward and visible sign of the grace shown to us in Christ as we share bread and wine together, which represent the perfect life he lived on earth, as well as the sacrificial death he died on our behalf. We are invited to feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. We're faced again with God's love for the unworthy and we're strengthened by faith in the one whose body was given and the one whose <laughs> ah yes and the one whose blood was shed for us so then i invite you to come with heartfelt repentance and genuine trust in the lord jesus recognizing the significance of sharing together in this way and i would say that if in good conscience you sense that it's not right for you to participate, by which I'm really saying you would not yet call yourself a believer in the Lord Jesus, then I'd want to invite you to use this time to reflect on God's great love for us in Christ. We prepare ourselves to share in the Lord's Supper with prayer, with scripture, and also with confession of our sins. And so I'm going to invite you to say the pray the words of this confession with me in just a moment, but I will give you a moment to prepare your heart. Well, let's pray these words together. Merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the schemes and desires of our own hearts and have broken your holy laws. We have left undone what we ought to have done and we have done what we ought not to have done. Yet, good Lord, have mercy on us. Restore those who repent according to the promises declared to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that from now on we may live godly and obedient lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And friends, be assured that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful promise there is in the gospel. And so we give thanks. And I will invite you to pray the prayer of thanksgiving and dedication with me now. Let's pray these words together. Lord and Heavenly Father, 
in your loving kindness, accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Grant that by the merits and death of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and your whole church may receive forgiveness of our sins and all other benefits of his passion. With gratitude for all your mercies, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Nope. <laughs> Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Now, amen. And so, friends, it was on the night that the Lord Jesus, or the night before he died, that Jesus took bread. And when he had given you thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took the cup and again giving you thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, friends, I invite you to take the bread and take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. taking your juice or wine, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you. Preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you. And be thankful. A moment of quiet and then I'll lead us in a closing prayer. Praise you, Heavenly Father, for the Lord Jesus, for his perfect, obedient life he lived among us, the life we should have lived but did not because we could not. We praise you for his sacrificial death on a Roman cross in our place for our sins to bring us back into right standing with you. We praise you for his resurrection from the grave, the guarantees we too will rise from death to spend eternity with you in perfection. And we look forward to Jesus' return when you will make all things new. And in the days between then and now, help us to truly feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Amen.